0: Hello, 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 and welcome to this episode of Her Music Academia, the podcast. I'm your host, Lydia Bengura. On this podcast, I talk all about music, specifically through the lens of music research, as I'm currently a music PhD student at the University of Michigan. I study music theory. I'm also an opera singer, so I have a lot of classical music experience, and I love to talk to musicians all about what they do in music this episode kicks off our next season that's right we're bringing you eight episodes in a row for the next eight weeks coming out on mondays we give you our first season back in february and march of 2023 for black history month and women's history month and now in october and november of 2023 you're getting another eight episodes of her music academia To start off this new season, we are really kicking off with a bang. I'm so excited to introduce my guest, who is Corey Arnold, the voice behind the Music Theory YouTube channel 12 Tone. They make Music Theory YouTube videos breaking down popular music and songs and concepts. They also have some pedagogical content. Their work is so important in representing music and the humanities in the educational YouTube space. They have a whopping 600,000 subscribers on YouTube, so make sure you check out their YouTube channel. All the links to everything we mentioned will be in the show notes. And by now, you're well aware that Corey and I are both going to be attending the SMT and AMS conference, the annual meeting that's meeting in November of this year in Denver, Colorado. We were both invited to participate in the public music theory plenary session, so I'm really excited to meet Corey in person. So if you'll be attending the conference next month, make sure you check out our talks. Without further ado, here's our conversation. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of the podcast. We are starting off our season with a bang. I'm so excited to introduce Corey Arnold, uh, who runs the 12-tone music theory YouTube channel and does other things that we're going to talk about. So I'm so excited to talk to them today. Corey, how are you? I'm doing really good. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, thank you for coming on. Um, I've known about your YouTube channel for a while, of course, because as the listeners know, I am a certified. YouTube girly, I <laughs> love YouTube. Specifically, you know, a lot of the YouTube stuff that I watch is a lot of like, l- you know, leftist radical content. Yeah. So I'm into all of that. Um, but you know, I'd be I'd be following the music theory tea a little bit, and <laughs> it's so you know, we've had um, a conversation about Adam Neely on the show before. Adam, if you're listening, come on the show, please. <laughs> Would love to host you. Um, but yes, I've, I've loved YouTube for a while. And, and by far, it's the thing that I consume the most, like more than TV or film. And so I've known about 12-tone for a while. It's been kind of floating in and out of my consciousness. And then we kind of <laughs> ended up on the same panel coming up for uh, SMT in November of 2023. By now, it's been announced. Um, yeah. So listeners, as you're hearing this, you already know. That I am going to be on the music theory plenary session at this year's Society for Music Theory Conference in November in Denver. And yeah, we ended up on the same panel. And I was like, oh, I yeah. know who that is. <laughs> I forgot all about them. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so happy yeah. um, to be talking to you today and get to hear a bit more about your work.
1: For sure, yeah. I'm really looking forward to the panel like that. Like it's one of those things that just not being like inside academia. It's just always fun when I like, like we were talking a little bit before the show, like a lot of my vacations are work trips. And so like, like I know I'm sure people who are music academics who spend a lot of their time at these conferences may be a little jaded about them, but like for me, they're just super fun. It's just like, I get to go and I get to hear so many people doing so many interesting things and get to meet a lot of like really cool people yeah, I know way more about music than I do. And it's been it's like it's always a really rewarding experience. And for some reason, they keep asking me to talk at them as if yes. I know what I'm doing. So,
0: <laughs> No, I mean, your yeah. perspective is really valuable as someone who's not like a yeah. quote unquote card carrying academic. Um, but you still do a lot of, I would say, scholarship, right? So I, I,
1: I would describe myself as a scholar.
0: Yes. Yeah. Fair. It's educational. Like, yeah. it's great stuff. The educational stuff on YouTube, you know, it, oh, don't even get me started on all all the Vlogbrothers stuff yeah. and all the Crash Course stuff. Whoa. OK. <laughs> it's my dream. John and Hank, if you're listening, Listen. I'm gonna pitch it right now. It's my dream to be the host of the music theory crash course series. When how do we how do we get it started? That's what I want to (laughs) know. That would be amazing. But you know, your perspective is really valuable in terms of what you do and interacting with the public in this really interesting way around music theory and music scholarship. So definitely a, a very needed perspective. And, you know, <laughs> listeners, check back in in five years. I might be tired of the conferences too, but right now I think it's exciting. <laughs> I like yeah. So I'm excited to connect with you in person. So let's go ahead and start off just by talking a bit about you and your background in music.
1: I'm from a family of like music enthusiasts and like a lot of folk music enthusiasts, which is a very participatory tradition. So like A couple of my uncles played in bands, but like a lot of it was just, you know, you would put on a record and people would be singing to it. And that was music was a lot of the environment without there really being anyone or that that's not true. There were some people in my family who were musicians, but like a lot of it was listening to and engaging with music actively in ways that I've always felt like the distinction between like a musician and a music enthusiast is kind of a lot blurrier than a lot of people treat it as Mm -hmm. and especially in especially in folk traditions where like you're supposed to sing along and like I remember like going to visit my grandfather and my grandparents with my with my parents and uh they would just start singing they had like songs that they all knew and it would just start we were walking and they would start singing this song and like we would learn the words and we would sing along and it was sort Mm -hmm. of part of the environment without there being any expectation that like you were going to be a musician or that mm-hmm. like you had to be a musician to do music. Yeah. But like, I never for a lot of my, for a lot of growing up, I didn't really think of myself as a musician. Uh, I was honestly for going into high school, planning to be a game designer. Oh, And then I found out that that meant doing more than just designing leveling systems for RPGs and sort of moved away from that. But like, the show Metalocalypse came out. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, I'm not. It was an adult swim show. The joke was like, there's this metal band that was like the biggest band in the world. And they were like the fifth largest global economy or something. And it was just, they lived <laughs> in this castle. And it was it was really violent and everything. And like around that era, like I think a lot of people in my age group sort of watched that and were like, we're going to start a metal band. And uh, <laughs> this this was like, this was the... Early to mid 2000s, so, okay. you know, this was sort of like at the end of new metal as a movement, but like that was still very large in the cultural conscience. And this was sort of metal's big moment in the sun was the 2000s. Like that was mm. to the point where like Slipknot and Korn were kind of mainstream pop acts, which mm. really weird to think about looking back. But, you know, they were at least at least sort of in my circles. But like we sort of, my friends were like one of those uh, sets of teenagers that were like, we're going to start a metal band, and I didn't play an instrument, so we we're like, Corey can sing, and so I started messing around with like metal vocals. I was like screaming along to stuff, and I was having a lot of fun. And then it turned out none of my other friends were all that serious, uh, but I was already having a blast with it. So I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a metal singer. So then. I did a couple summer programs at Berkeley, which, you know, was was fun. It wasn't a great fit for the sort of metal I wanted to make. So I wound up going to, um, a it's a for-profit university university. So I don't like to say the name cause I don't want to give them free publicity because for-profit universities are wildly unethical as a thing. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so like, don't go to one and don't try and figure out which one I went to. Uh, but <laughs> sort of while I was there, I sort of got a better sense of what being a professional musician meant, you Mm. know, like, and how, how complicated it actually was. Yes. And so I started to get the sense that like, maybe I didn't really want to be a professional performing vocalist. Maybe that wasn't the track for me. So I started to look into teaching. And so I transitioned to getting a bachelor's from there. And then while I was doing that, I sort of, accidentally fell into and not, not accidentally. I was really good in my music theory classes Mm -hmm. and a lot of my friends when they were struggling with homework or struggling with a concept would just reach out and be like, Hey Corey, can you help me with this? Yeah. And so like I became sort of the unofficial tutor for a lot of my class and I got really used to explaining these things. I got really used to thinking about them and I really enjoyed them. Like, I had a lot of fun in music theory, partly because it was, I was a lot better at it than I was at most of other classes. Like your training, I'm sure this will be familiar to many people listening. Your training was a struggle, but like, really?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hmm. I mean, that's partly like I, I got into it fairly late. I didn't really
0: hmm. grow
1: up doing like serious music lesson stuff. And right. so I like, honestly, I feel at this point I am a better transcriber than most people. I'm probably a worse transcriber than most music theorists, but okay. like, you know, that <laughs> that it's a hard curve to be grading on in my, like, uh, it was just, I also, I have aphantasia, so I don't have like an inner, uh, voice in my head. Uh, oh, so wow. I can't hold a sound in my head after I've heard it, which makes it a lot harder yeah. to sort of go back and think of was That's that like one of
0: the main was, things. That, was that a minor <laughs> or
1: a minor seventh? Or like, yeah, it was, it was yeah. just like i have to go back and listen to it again and be like do i hear the the f or whatever i i don't know why i went with f i assumed it was a g chord i guess but uh but yeah no the um but yeah so that that sort of but like music theory was the one that i was just really good at because i'm i'm good at math like I grew up in a very mathematical family. And as you know, a lot of like undergrad theory, especially like my understanding is, is this is changing. Uh, but like certainly back when I was doing it, a lot of undergrad theory is very mathematical and very yes. sort of like.
0: Yeah, that should you know. be the question I open. Oh, yeah. I should start asking people, did you grow up in a musical family or mathematical family, yeah. perhaps?
1: Yeah. yeah. Like I, <laughs> but this is like, like. But like I said, I, I just I got I was really. I really enjoyed my music theory classes and like one of the messages I was getting from some of my performance teachers was, you know, like after you graduate, you're not really going to be using a lot of the stuff you learned in your music theory class that much. And so a lot of it goes away. You sort of forget a lot of it. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I liked a lot of that stuff. Mm. And so that was sort of part of the motivation for getting into like doing music theory stuff was to make myself continue to think about it.
0: And you ended up getting a bachelor's in education
1: Uh, in vocal performance.
0: Oh, in performance. Uh, OK, yeah. great. Yeah. Um, the, the school I,
1: didn't have an education one. I th- they they might have ooh. added one later, but they had only had like the performance degree. But like, OK, Uh, that was well, they, they had a couple. But like for what I was doing, performance degree was the best one. And
0: got it. Got it. Yeah. And so by the time you were kind of finishing that up. Were you more interested in like, okay, now I want to go and perform and try and do popular music or now I'm more interested in education. Like what, what did that kind of transpire into?
1: So near the end of the bachelor program, I was sort of trying to, I was, I was trying to basically get hired at the school. Like I was working, talking with some of my teachers uh, who wanted to have me in like their sub pool And just trying to get me in as like at least a substitute and sort of get a foot in the door that way. A substitute
0: Uh, for theory?
1: No, for for vocals. Uh, For vocals. Okay. uh, Although probably from there, uh, this was I was still sort of thinking of myself as a vocalist, uh, but I was mostly thinking myself as a vocal teacher at that Mm, point. Got it. So I I was doing that and that wound up falling through, which honestly, like looking back was the right decision for both them and me. I don't think I would have been as good at that as I thought I would have been. And I don't think I would have been as happy with it as I thought I would have been at the time. Like I said, I'm glad that they decided they didn't want to hire me for that. And so I I was still sort of thinking to myself as like, okay, I'm going to do like vocal lessons and I'm going to, going to do performing stuff. And I was trying to put together bands. And what I kept finding was like, you know, being a vocalist, there's sort of an expectation that you're going to organize, like you're going to be in charge of the band. You're going to be the band leader. Mm. And that wasn't a skill set I had. Like, I just, I'm really bad at being in charge of people. And so, mm. like, I would put bands together, I would put a project together, and we would do a little bit of stuff, and then it would just sort of fall apart because, like, I wasn't running that side of things, and everyone else was just sort of doing their own thing and waiting for me to tell them when the next thing was. And so I just, I kept looking at it, and the more I was doing it, I was just like, I... I like performing. I like, I like being on stage. I don't like any other part of being a uh, professional performing vocalist. And like, Mm. there's too many other ones for this to be the career path that I follow, especially because like, you know, it's not lucrative, right? Like this is not, this is something you do because you love it. And like, I loved one part of it, but I just could not, could not care enough to be like, all right, well, I'm going to make very little money for most of my life doing a thing I'm not particularly happy with. Not a great tired. We're tired,
0: deal. We're tired. Uh, yes.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, I wound up working for a bit at a company that did, like, um, private music lessons uh, for kids. And so I was a music tutor for a little bit. And during that was sort of when I decided to really to start working on YouTube as well. Uh, Cause I had like around that time going back to like the early 2010s or whatever, I was also very much a YouTube girly. Uh, yes. But like I, I, I was very much in the sort of the, the, the education space at that time. Sure. And it was, it was sort of fairly new at the time uh, that there was like a real educational movement on YouTube. Yeah. And I had sort of gotten in through um, a friend of mine sent me a video from a channel called Numberfile, which was a math channel, unsurprisingly.
0: Yes, uh, I love Numberphile. Like,
1: they're so good. They're yes. so good. But yeah, I was, got really into them, watched through all of their videos and started watching through the people that they collaborated with and yes. got into like Vihard and Minute Physics. And yes, those two names will probably come back up as I start talking about the development mm-hmm. of my visual style. But, um, Mm -hmm. people like Vsauce, Veritasium, a lot of that, the brain scoop, uh, sure. I think CGP
0: gray might've been my in and all of that.
1: Yeah. Gray as well. Uh, but yeah. And a lot of that was like, so there was, I was really interested in it, but there was like no arts and humanities stuff. Like CGP gray a little bit was sort of in the humanities space. Some of his stuff.
0: He did a lot of technology and he was also, yeah, he,
1: took a very scientific approach to it. He's a physicist by training. He was a physics teacher. Mm -hmm. And so like a lot of his stuff is humanities oriented, but through a scientific lens. So I was looking at this and as far as I could find, it turns out this wasn't quite true, but as far as I could find, no one was doing stuff about music theory. Yeah. So I was like, I want to do that. And this looks like an interesting gap like it looks like a thing and again like I wanted an excuse to keep thinking about music theory I wanted an excuse to keep this stuff in my brain so I got a couple friends together and we started working on things and this one of the things I found was like like I mentioned like trying to start a band I could just never organize people but like when I was doing the YouTube stuff I was putting in the legwork to actually organize and get people doing what they needed to do and like it was a Mm. fundamental shift in like how much I was willing to put in the work that told me that this was something I cared about a lot more. And that was a a very early and important sign to me to be like, this is what I want to pursue. This is what I want to do going forward.
0: Interesting. Fabulous. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing all that. I have so many questions already. Let me narrow it down. (laughs) I was furiously scribbling as we were talking. Let me, okay. So first going back to kind of The start of your upbringing and and the way that music was, the way that your family was interacting with music as not quote unquote professional card carrying musicians, but as people who were, it sounds like from an early age, really training you to think about music and to relate to music, even if it wasn't in this professional official kind of sense. And this is something that came up in a recent podcast episode um, where we talked about, challenging performance with Daniel Borolsky, that episode was so enlightening to me because he talked about all the different ways that we go about structuring music history in particular, right? That we structure it around a history of composers and not a history of performers or a history of amateurs, right? And so like an amateur just doesn't have a place (laughs) in the actual canon of music. Even though so many people like the the vast majority of so many
1: advances in music technology were for amateurs.
0: Yes, exactly. And were for the purposes of accessibility and were for. But we're not talking about music or music history and the the narratives that we tell around music around the everyday experience of music. We're only talking about these really exceptional kind of cases that just aren't the everyday and aren't actually accessible to most people. And so I just find it really interesting that your family was already kind of instilling in you this relationship with music that didn't have to be extraordinary in order to be validated.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, this is sort of like a running joke on my podcast where, like, you know, it's like if we talk about something for long enough, eventually we make the argument that it's a kind of folk music. Like,
0: Hmm. we're just
1: so many things have a folk tradition that we don't really talk about and so many things are again, so, so amateur driven, like, like the sheet music industry was not made for professional musicians. It was made so people could play these songs in their homes at home. yeah. and like, and the player piano was so that people who couldn't play piano could play these things at home and like all of these. And then, you know, you, you move into like, you know, vinyl and CDs and everything and it starts to be more, of something that you don't have. I don't even think you don't have to actively participate, but your active participation is different. Like you are actively yes. listening, but like, you know, you put on your favorite record assuming that there are vocals on it and assuming you're somewhere relatively private, you are going to sing along like that. You. That's just, that's how people are. Yeah. And there's just this idea that a musician is a separate thing from a person that like, the people and, and like the Boston symphony orchestra, those are musicians, right? Like Pink Floyd are musicians. Mm-hmm. People who listen to music for like five hours mm-hmm. a day, sing along with it, drum along with their favorite rhythms. Like whatever. those are not musicians. Those are like, like that. that's, I don't know. Like it, there's an extent to which like, it is useful to differentiate like professional performing musicians. That's a useful category. Sure. But like, also I think that, it's important to recognize the extent to which not everyone, but most people do engage with music a lot in their daily lives in ways yeah. that aren't as passive as the narratives around them imply.
0: Mm-hmm, hmm Yeah, I remember... I don't know if I read an article about this or something. I'll try and listeners find what I'm thinking of, but this idea of how long... How how long do you have to be right playing the violin before you can call yourself yeah. a violinist? Right? Yeah. Can it be the first day that you start playing violin? Does it have to be a year in? Does it have to be five years in? Right? And how often or or yeah. for in my case, right? I I actually started as a violist and I played viola for ten oh, nice. years. Love the viola. Bef- yes, me too. Who doesn't? <laughs> um, <laughs> cue the I'm viola most jokes. string
1: arrangers. But
0: <laughs> I know <laughs> that's real. But you know I haven't really played viola seriously in a while so how long do i have to drift like how how far away do i have to get from my quote-unquote serious viola days before i can't call myself a violist anymore like you're saying those lines those lines are very blurry and they all revolve around this this assumed identity as the musician as exceptional and there's some sort of threshold which again is murky where's the threshold to where you yeah, are do you propelled. you have to, like,
1: <laughs> where's that line? And yeah, like, this is, like, because, like, I, like I mentioned earlier, literally have a degree in vocal performance. Yes. <laughs> These days, I'm kind of uncomfortable calling myself a singer, just hmm. because, like, when people ask, like, oh, what instrument do you play? I was like, well, I have a degree in vocal performance, but I haven't really warmed up in, like, like five, six years at this point. I don't really mm-hmm. practice. Like, my voice isn't where it was in college. Like, so... You know, I guess I'd say I'm a singer, but, you know, it just it sort of becomes this thing where I feel like and part of that is, I mean, I believe uh, you have a singing background as well. Yes. So I'm sure, you know, if you tell someone you're a singer, they'll be like, oh, sing something for me. But Jesus. Like, and I'm trying to avoid that.
0: <laughs> you got to stop. I
1: wanted to avoid in college, too. But
0: like, Fix a Jesus. Y'all got to yeah. stop. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But like, even beyond that, there's this extent to which like, I'm not sure how comfortable I am calling myself a singer, which is wild because that's Mm -hmm. my body. Like that's not even like an instrument that I have to remember how to, that is some muscles in my neck. Mm
0: -hmm. And like, I don't
1: know if I'm comfortable telling you, I know how to use the muscles in my neck.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's,
1: that's nuts. And that's sort of like one of the things like growing up, like what that, like I really appreciated was that it was never really a sense with, like, when when my families were doing these, like, sing-alongs or whatever, the point wasn't to sound good. The point was to be a part of it. Yeah. And, you know, that's not to say that people weren't good singers, but it was sort of... There was no judgment. Yes. It was like, if you were singing, you were a singer. Yes. And you were allowed to do that in a way mm-hmm. that, like, was never really explicitly stated, but was just sort of assumed.
0: Right. And I mean, here's the issue with so many of those... Um, really personal identities like being an artist or being a musician is that yeah. you are immediately asked to prove it yeah. right that you can't just say well I'm a singer and then it's like okay well you have to show me your credentials and you have to sing yeah. right now yeah unless you're what actually you, not yeah, a your, <laughs> yeah.
1: so how can yeah, I take it, your word uh that yes. you are physically capable of singing like, exactly um, and
0: I mean yeah. obviously kind of there's a degree, a level to which we perform all of the identities that we have and, you know, choose. So, you know, we'll get to in a minute. I'm sure I can't wait to hear all the tea about all the men that try to fight with you over your YouTube videos (laughs) and, you know, having to prove your validity as an educator, as a scholar, as a music theorist, right? Who doesn't formally have a music theory degree. But anyway, I digress. I just think that's so fascinating and fantastic, right? That you have that background of music being accessible to you and the identity of being, of, of musician being accessible to you from an early age. And I I think that's something that so many musicians and again, broad label musicians could really benefit from.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot more people have than we really talk about too. I think that that's Mm. not, not, not to say that everyone does, but like, I think that Partly because we don't view listening to a song with your parents as, you know, who was it? Musicking. I'm blanking on the dude whose term that is. but um, Christopher
0: Smalls.
1: That's the one. Christopher Smalls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, his, his idea of like musicking as whatever you're doing to participate in music. And that yes. way it's I think a lot of people music in ways that they don't consider
0: mm.
1: being a musician. And again, so like, I think there are meaningful distinctions between like a violinist in the London Philharmonic and me picking up a violin for the first time in my life. Like th- there is, there's a meaningful distinction to be made there in, not just in terms of like skill as a violinist, but also in terms of dedication as in like all, there, there are meaningful distinctions, but right. you know, me picking up a violin for the first time and messing around with it is still playing the violin yes so
0: yeah i think that's the thing is that like card carrying musicians are afraid of dilution yeah they are afraid that that term will mean nothing if everybody is a musician then nobody's a musician and if that if Joe Schmo over there who's you know singing along to the yeah. radio as a musician and what does that make me with two voice degrees right like yeah there's, the, there's possessiveness there and you even see this in professional
1: music spheres like this is mm-hmm. the classic example is the DJ where mm-hmm. like people will just be like oh yeah the DJ is like plays the space bar and it's like no there is so no. much more to it that no not even a <laughs> little bit you have fundamentally misunderstood what's happening yeah <laughs> but like there's a way of just sort of drawing the boundaries that are like this is the thing that's music and it's the thing that I do and care about yes. and the things that other people do and care about in music
0: aren't music aren't
1: aren't aren't making music certainly mm-hmm. they're you know but like even though you do get you know the the whole like like the, obviously that this was a big sort of conversation in certain spheres around uh, hip hop was like is this music is rap like isn't music and it's like yes it is unambiguously hands mm-hmm. down but like you know this sort of as a way of being like this isn't music as a way of saying this isn't legitimate or
0: mm-hmm.
1: like as a way of sort of taking things out of taking control of what is and is not music uh, music out of the hands of people who are engaging with music mm-hmm. or putting it into a specific group of people who have like the, the good opinions about like about music and what music should be
0: yes exactly exactly one other thing tiny detail that yeah. you mentioned that you're a gamer yeah do you do twitch stuff um
1: not super i like i don't have a good streaming setup uh okay i, I, I just want more music yeah. people
0: to be on twitch i think it's so fascinating yeah. i know i love to watch was people doing work doing twitch on twitch. For a little
1: bit but was he? he he was he was doing like some some music making i don't know if he still is uh
0: okay
1: i'd like I saw him doing that at one point. I think he may have moved off of it, but like, okay, it's something that I want to do, but like I'm on a Mac, which makes OBS significantly harder to use oh, and sure, like, I it's am. also a laptop. And so
0: mm. like, there's just,
1: which, you know, is, is sufficient for like editing in Premiere Pro, but just like the live sure. capture of stuff. It's just sure, like, sure, sure, sure. So if I wanted to do anything like serious, it gets complicated. And
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. OK, listeners, like, yeah. stay tuned. Sign the petition that's going to be in the show <laughs> notes to get Corey on Twitch. <laughs> I just think music streams are so interesting. I love watching yeah. people practice. I love watching people work or even like grade. I, I had a previous yeah. guest, Natalie Kraft, who was on the show and um, she does music streams where she practices piano or she grades for her class. Yeah. Um, and I just find that so fun to participate in. I It's a whole different kind of category of live music. And I love, <laughs> as people have seen through this podcast, like I love process. So yeah. often when it comes to performances and scholarship, you see the end product and you don't yeah. get to see the rehearsal process and the hours and the drafts and like everything that went into, you know, producing that end product. And so I love watching yeah. people in there kind of mundane again this yeah. concept of music existing in the everyday and not just in these except exceptional heightened yeah. moments but the practicing and the you know the studying and all of that stuff so i love i love dj streams i love like people just messing yeah. around and i get to watch live like i i don't know i find it so yeah. fun
1: yeah no there's there is just something about it being live that feels very because like you know i, I watch twitch I very rarely watch, like, Twitch VODs, like, Mm -hmm. even even if I'm not, like, even if I'm not, like, actively participating in the chat or whatever while I'm watching a Twitch stream, like, it's just, it's different knowing that this is happening right now. Yes. And it is just, it's much more interesting and feels much more engaging. uh, Yes. Which, but yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So let's transition to talking about your YouTube channel. Thank you for all of that background sure. in terms of how you got into it. So tell us a bit about what 12 tone is. First of all, how'd you come up with the name? What's the name? Is it just 12 tone uh, theory?
1: <laughs> yeah. So it was sort of three different things sort of converging. Uh, part of it. One, one part was like 12 tone serialism, which was at the time, one of the more advanced music theory things I knew about. Sure. Uh and had learned about and so part of the point was like you know we're not just going to be doing like basic intro 101 stuff we're also going to be doing the the hard stuff the cool stuff the stuff mm-hmm. that like you know i wanted to learn when i got into theory another part of it was just sort of a fascination with the idea of how much you can do with just 12 notes like you know not not to say like i i pretty quickly got into like you know tuning theory stuff as well but like just having This idea that, you know, you have a piano and it's just like is 12 notes and a bunch of octaves and just the sheer number of different kinds of music that get made in that relatively limited space was really fascinating to me. And then Mm -hmm. also it's just fun to say. Like sure. that was, that was a big part for branding. for branding reasons. It's just like, yes. it rolls off the tongue. You have the it's easy to remember.
0: Yes. Like, and you have a great logo. This was good stuff. Yeah.
1: Like, like I said, like I was working with some friends at the start and like I, when I told them that it, I was like, I was thinking 12 tone and they were all like, yeah, that sounds good. Let's go with that. And so we never really considered any other names.
0: <laughs> it, just, it, felt,
1: it felt right. And we, we rolled with it from there. But yeah, I will say on the logo, I do want to shout out my friend Emmanuel, mm-hmm. who was the one who actually designed the logo. So Fantastic. That, that wasn't actually me.
0: Yes. So, Shout out to Emmanuel. So from the beginning, you've yeah. had a team kind of working so, on you, working on it with.
1: At the beginning, I had a team. Um the sort of I had because there was a a lot of skills in making a video that I didn't have. And so I brought in some friends. Emmanuel was the original animator. He he did the drawings for a while. Oh. Uh, he was also originally going to do the the audio editing, but he didn't have time for that. so we brought in my friend Milo for that. We had a couple different uh, videographers that I was working with for a while so the the videographers, both for various reasons, wound up falling off the project before we actually started publishing anything. I found it really beneficial because it spread out the like the period of learning, so it wasn't mm. like because making videos, there's so many skills that go into it, just like just yes. like you know making music. But like yes. there's, there's so many things that I have to be good at in order to make a good video. The
0: listeners have been trying yeah. to get me on YouTube and <laughs> it's, a, it's politely it's a no. <laughs> it looks no, like a crazy just, amount of work that like it's it, a whole nother level.
1: Yeah, there's just it's just so many things that like and things you don't learn in music school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they never taught me how to use Premiere. Basically, like by the time we were publishing, it was me writing the scripts, doing the, the narration and editing the videos. And then Milo was editing the audio and Emmanuel was doing the animations. And then Milo eventually had to move. Uh, and so I took over audio engineering when he left. And then similarly, after a while, Emmanuel moved out of LA. And so at that point it was just like, cause that, that was the one I was most afraid of. Cause I, I have no background in visual arts, like I, you know, would doodle in class a little bit, but like I never thought of myself as a good drawer, but I was at this point where like either I'm going to start doing this or I'm going to find someone else who's willing to work on this project who like that seemed unlikely (laughs) or I'm just going to stop making these videos and I'm not ready to stop making these videos. And so I just sort of had to figure out how to draw decently and One of these days, I'll probably figure out how to do that. So.
0: (laughs) okay. so for the (laughs) listeners, um, if you haven't seen a 12 tone video, what are you doing? Obviously, they're linked (laughs) in the show notes. Please go and check out some of these videos, um, because that is the thing is it's it's already a a drag to make music theory interesting with momentum that can keep people for five or 10 or 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, so the fact that you've paired it with these drawings that are kind of done in not in real time, they're sped up, but like, yeah. you know, <laughs> as, yeah, no, I, as, I just draw know. those really fast. <laughs> <laughs> it's talent, people. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, draw, you know, drawn to match with the um, narration. Yeah. Um, and of course, music theory is so it's interesting because obviously music is audio but it's it's auditory, but it's also so visual, and so the way yeah. that you match it with, you know, seeing the staff in real time or piano keys or whatever you're working, whatever music theory tools yeah. you're working with, as well as these fun zany drawings and inside <laughs> jokes, and and you're laughing, and you're like, oh, it's yeah. it's yeah. Bart Simpson, it's oh, I don't know, <laughs> and you're laughing. Yeah. So you know, they're they're visually such interesting videos, yeah. which is quite the feat to pull off. Again, listeners, I'm sorry. It's not going to be me. You're going to have to go and watch Corey's videos because it's not about to be me. But um, so that that is fascinating that you just kind of fell into the drawing thing. And I I mean, it's it's a talent for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, hopefully at this point, I'm decent at it because I've been doing it since 2016. but (laughs) uh, But yeah, no, it was a lot of it. A lot of it was like what you were saying for me, especially having a Fantasia, a lot of the way that I think about music and music theory isn't directly oral, isn't directly like auditory. It's not sound based. It's more geometric, and it's more mm. sort of putting it onto a page feels more natural. All analysis of music has to go back to listening to music. I don't want to like Sorry. downplay yes. the importance of that, but like mm-hmm. a lot of it to me, like sort of, I process a lot better on paper and through sort of visual and textual stuff. And so that was sort of felt very natural. Again, I had been watching a lot of minute physics and Vihart who both also do sort of that top-down hand-drawn animation thing. And that those were a big inspiration for me in terms of like how I wanted my thing to look and how I wanted to approach it was sort of how much sense what they were doing was making to me Mm -hmm. and how helpful the visuals were. And again, like I, I don't necessarily think that like having the notation there is necessarily helpful to people being able to read it. It's more more than anything. it's just having a visual synchronization with them with the important musical events. Like mm-hmm. I could write completely the wrong notes, and I think for most people it would have basically the same value. But I still think it has value like and obviously i'm I'm not writing the wrong I'm trying as hard <laughs> as I can to not write the wrong <laughs> notes. But like
0: it's, Keeley, all, all the men yeah, that are going to send me emails yeah. like, well, actually, I, in I, the video I, I that he did mistakes. five months ago, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have
1: I have done my notation incorrectly, sometimes by misreading stuff and sometimes by actually mistranscribing things. But like, yeah, it, it happens. Mm-hmm. But like having that visual component to it to sort of focus a different sense on whatever I'm trying to draw your attention to in the music. Mm-hmm. I think is just really, really beneficial. It's, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Also, I find, so, you know, when I made my YouTube pilgrimage to like binge all your videos, <laughs> um, there are a lot of videos. I could there, not do all are. of them. I, but... I wouldn't
1: recommend binging them all. Like, binge the last year of, or two.
0: <laughs> but um, all really interesting, fantastic work. And it's interesting kind of scrolling down back in yeah. in your catalog and how you kind of transition to from these like educational yeah. like this is what an arpeggio is videos yeah. into more of kind of the the cultural commentary yeah. space of popular music or other types of you know um yeah things that would maybe draw a broader audience so yeah. how did you kind of shift that content
1: yeah so part of it was like early on I was very afraid of like injecting my own opinions and my own experiences and my own like thoughts
0: Right, because music theory is objective and... Yeah, because
1: uh, I I didn't have the secret formulas that you learn when you do a music theory PhD to tell uh, you what music is (laughs) Spoiler,
0: listeners. (laughs) Check back after year five and maybe I'll reveal if there was this alleged secret formula. Continue.
1: (laughs) But yeah, no, uh, but like I didn't feel
0: like a music theorist. I
1: felt like someone who was talking about music theory especially because like I I had a performance degree background, I had never done like grad school. I had never done, I'd certainly never gotten a degree in theory. It wasn't so much like an inferiority complex. Like it's a little bit of imposter syndrome. There's definitely some imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. Uh, still is, but like, I I don't think that goes away, but um, it was a lot of it was just like, I am not the expert here. And the experts say this thing. And so that's the thing I should be saying is taking what the experts are saying and telling people what that is. Mm. And I think through doing that and through spending more and more time reading what the experts are saying, like, you know, reading what other people who think a lot about the same subject as you are saying about it and then thinking about what they're saying and thinking about those ideas and incorporating them into your own worldview and your own uh, views, that's what becoming an expert is. That's yes. Like, and so it was like, I remember at one point I was talking with Adam, and like I think this was during a live stream, and I mentioned like, yeah, I don't have a master's. It was like, yeah, but you've been doing this for how long? And it was like, okay, yeah, I, I've sort of done. Like, I wouldn't say like I've actually. I'm not going to claim I have the qualifications of a uh, someone with a master's in music theory. I but have you a do need si-
0: an honorary doctorate. That's yeah, what people, I Michigan gave me one of those. No, somebody. Uh, <laughs>
1: but like, but it is, I I, I do, I have a, like you were saying, like a a different perspective and it's not, it is meaningfully different than going to grad school and getting a PhD. And I'm not going to claim that I have the same experience or the same background, but I sort of started to acknowledge more that I had an expert background at this point. Like I don't think I did when I started 12 tone. I had a decent undergrad theory class like under my belt, mm-hmm. but like I spend a lot of time reading music scholarship. I spend,
0: yeah. And you have to especially research MTO for those because videos. it's free,
1: but like, you know, I also mm-hmm. have, have ways of getting, um, non free publications, but like, uh, but yeah, those, those sorts of things. Like I just, yeah, I spend a lot of time researching. I spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff and have sort of come to recognize myself as, You know, like I wouldn't call myself an academic, but I would call myself a scholar. And Mm. I think that that perspective and also some of what we were talking about earlier, sort of learning to recognize that the idea that there was this small group of people who got to decide all of what music expertise was, was fundamentally at odds with how I viewed music. And that therefore, like as someone who listens to music and listens to music very closely and spends a lot of time thinking about it. I'm allowed to call myself an expert. I and mean, the other the other part to answer your question uh, from before I started rambling uh was like part of the transition away from like the sort of basic explainer theory 101 videos is I just ran out of theory 101 stuff like there's only so many things that you can do and that's and, the most
0: popular yeah. music theory content right is yeah, that I, my students uh, well yeah. not depends, popular I mean like yeah. But my students, right, if I'm explaining, like, this is what an augmented six chord is and they didn't get it in class, they go home and they Google what's an augmented six chord and they watch somebody explain it to them in a different way. There we go. Watch (laughs) students, if you're listening, watch Corey's videos. But, you know, so... Yeah. And let me not say most popular, but like that's but yeah. I think what I associated yeah. with during this YouTube era, I what I is, would associate yeah. a music theory video to be is something that yeah. like explains something to you rather than something rather than like a, a, a musician, um, a music theorist, a scholar who is coming yeah. to this um, to a song or to a topic, to an artist with yeah. this expertise and explaining, oh, this is how it works. And these are kind of the hidden things that maybe you might not yeah. hear on the first listen. But if you listen to it like this or you recognize this pattern or whatever, yeah, yeah, that that's kind of the newer side.
1: Yeah, I, it's, I think of it as sort of like half of a conversation with a friend and a friend who happens to know a lot about the subject and be very interested in it. But like, I am, again, because a lot of this for me started with, sitting in a practice room with a friend who was struggling to do like four part writing and just being Mm. like, okay, but here's, here's the thing you're missing here. And how do we get you to understand it? And sort of that was those conversations were a big part of what I got, how I got into this. And like, when I started, my process was like, I would literally like, I would take out my phone. I would start a voice memo and I would just talk about the subject and I would try and explain it and then I would transcribe that. And while I was transcribing it, I would edit it. And that was the script it was just like, cause I was trying to capture that voice of me just sitting down and talking to you about a thing instead of me standing up in front of a class and lecturing you about it. And, mm. but yeah, I think the thing you're talking about, which sort of like in sort of the YouTube industry is often called like curiosity content. Like stuff like what I do, what Adam does, like those sorts of things in music theory. A lot of that, like music theory, YouTube sort of started doing that around like 2015, 2016. Like this was not to plug my one academic publication, but in uh, the Oxford Handbook of Public Music Theory, uh, I co-authored the chapter on YouTube. And so I did a bunch of research on this. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, this was sort of like around that time. It was like me, it was Adam, it was Rick, it was like holistic songwriting, it was Sideways, it was Amy Nolte. Like so many of these channels that like these days either are, or some of them have stopped, 8-bit music theory as well, they like either are or at least were at the time like big parts of that scene. So all sort of started around then. And before then you had people like Michael New, you had people like Leiper, but those were very tutorial oriented. Those were very much like here... It may be a casual presentation, but it was very much like, here is the thing you're going to learn. And I think that, I don't know, it was like, I think enough time had passed from that influence of like channels like CGP Grey, like Minute Physics, like PBS Ideas channel, especially was a huge influence on a lot of, a lot of like music theory YouTubers. But like there was just suddenly this big explosion and this thing that wasn't there happened and started happening and... Mm I mean, it's kind of how like YouTube works is you sort of get like it's suddenly the moment for a new thing over the last couple of years. We've had this explosion of specifically black voices in BreadTube, Mm -hmm. uh, which I've heard like FD Signifier or whatever refer to as like CornbreadTube. Yes. Uh, But like, (laughs) you know, that sort of that that whole movement really was those voices were almost completely absent from a lot of BreadTube content beyond like T1J and then mm-hmm. suddenly fd blows up uh yeah
0: Khadija. Like, Khadija and foreign and, and yes. yeah
1: yeah all, all of these like blow up around the same time and they they lift each other up and you know mm-hmm. suddenly the youtube algorithm discovers this new audience that's looking for a new thing and starts finding a bunch of people who are doing that
0: mm-hmm. so yeah you know along those same lines i'd love to know about who are watching these videos. Like who is your yeah. a- audience and what kinds of responses do you get to your videos? Yeah. Is it a lot so of younger people? Is it a lot I, of, I think it's,
1: it's mostly, you know, in the 18 to 35 range. Mm-hmm. Um, like as you, as you go up the demographics to like older age ranges, it starts to be a larger and larger percent. Just my mom's friends. Uh, <laughs> but like it's definitely, definitely more younger audience. My bread and butter, the videos that I do when I like I need to get views, which I I like making, but like they're also the things I do when I need to get views uh, are like analyses of like classic dad rock songs.
0: Yes,
1: that's like right now uh, doing a video on smoke on the water.
0: All and right. Like,
1: you know, and do you those have a journey video?
0: Journey's my favorite. I, I
1: tried. I wanted like I, I select them through like Patreon. You don't have a don't stop
0: believe in video. So
1: the thing is, I really want to make a separate ways video. I like that song yes! so much better yes! than like either of the two journey songs that anyone would actually click on. Like don't stop <laughs> believing in any way you want it are both anyway good songs. <laughs> but like separate ways is just so much better. I would and click I would, on
0: any video. I'm cla- I am a closet. I shouldn't say closeted. Video, I love Journey so yeah, much. Yeah. I have almost every Journey yeah. album on vinyl. I just yeah. please make a Journey I mean, video. One I would of live. these days I will
1: probably make a Don't Stop in video. But like I, because like I said, I select these through Patreon polls. Just sort of a to give people who are financially supporting me some say in what they're doing and to to allow them to sort of participate in what I'm doing, uh, and also it's a useful way of testing like is that do people actually want this video? Like, cause that's sure. happened to me before where I like put out a video about a song where like, like this happened with, I, I did like audio slaves, like a stone where like I had spent years in a college vocal program at a rock oriented school. And the sorts of people who hang out, who attend those programs, love Chris Cornell. They <laughs> just across the board is sure. legendary. And so I've for my, like, as far as I was aware, everyone knew and loved Like a Stone. Mm. And I put the video out and it, it bombed so hard. <laughs> and I was just like, wait a second. But like, it's Chris Cornell, it's, it's Audio Slave? What are, you, what are you guys doing? Mm. But, like, <laughs> but like, apparently that was not as well known as I thought it was. And so All that right. was sort of, the Patreon poll is a way to sort of test that and get a sense of like, if I do this, will people click on it? Because, sure. you know, this is my full time job and I do sure. have to make sure that my videos perform. Uh, okay. At least sometimes I, I will occasionally make videos. I expect to bomb just for fun. But like, you know, but yeah. Sure. So I, I, like I said, I put separate ways on one of those and it just immediately fell off. Like no one was interested. And I was like, gang, <laughs> come on. Like, I know <laughs> you would vote if I had put don't stop Believing. <laughs>
0: <But> like, <laughs> I love separate ways. That's my favorite journey album too it's, is Frontiers. I yeah. love the album. <laughs> Oh, okay, but yes, interesting. So yeah. it's a lot of younger people, and what's the response like to your videos? Yeah, so I, I stopped
1: reading comments a long time ago. That's fair. That's uh, real. It's just you know, it's it's not my my comment section wasn't as toxic as a lot of them get, partly because I'm not apparently a woman or <laughs> non-white, right? So like you know, those are like. Two two good predictors about how, how trash your comment section is going to be. But okay. Like, so for the most part, like, I, I... It wasn't, like, that it was a lot of people being super mean or anything. Sure. Uh, it was more... There's just the volume. There was so much of it. And mm. it became sort of really... It, it became, like, almost a part-time job reading the comments. Right. And, like it was taking so much time away from making videos and like, there are a lot of really interesting comments, but like, you know, in order to, a lot of them are like, they're not bad. They're just, they don't have anything super useful to them. Like they're just someone being like, this was cool. And that like, great. Leave that comment. And I'm not right. trying to discourage you from or that. Or
0: really, really peda- from the yeah. few comment sections that I peruse, yeah, you, like very yeah. detailed semantics. Yeah, that, Yeah. Mm. One of those like,
1: yeah, like a, a, as a tip for anyone leaving these sorts of comments on educational videos, um instead of starting with you forgot, to say mm. another cool thing is. sure like, cuz there's a like we we there there are a lot of reasons we might have found something and chose to leave to leave it out. Right. B, you know, it's just like we like I mean really back to that, like we we're crafting a story. Fundamentally, I am much more telling a story than I am doing uh anything else yeah. and so things that don't fit the story don't make it into the video and that's fine but like you know leaving leaving space for like hey this is another thing i loved about it that's great i love those comments right like, you forgot to mention this is like almost always is like Ugh, fine like it's
0: <laughs> yeah, it, yeah it's
1: soul draining so like you know that that's sort of yeah but but no it's like i do still like Pay attention to audience feedback in other places. Sure. Like, I watch, I have a Discord, and that's, you know, small enough that, you know, people will come and say some stuff for the first day or two, and then it'll sort of die down. And I can, I can see, and like, I know the people a little bit. Like, we're not friends right. or anything. Like, I, that, that sounded harsher than I meant it to do, but to be, but like, we're not like. Right. But
0: it's a community. A curated it's a community. It's a community
1: yes. of people who, like, who have. Who follow my work regularly and the, therefore are less likely to just misinterpret it too,
0: yes, yes, like
1: and I also like on well, prior to recently on twitter um that 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 changed, but like, <laughs> uh but yeah. the the whole thing with that like that that was all always really useful, especially like because a lot of act like academic music theorists follow me on Twitter and like like we're mutuals and stuff and so those were like people I knew and people who I knew knew what they were talking about. Sure. And so, cause that's a lot of, a lot of the problem with like YouTube audience feedback, which is also sort of the problem of YouTube content is there's no quality control. Like, yes, this there's is not a
0: peer review process.
1: <laughs> no, which, which is good in a lot of ways, but it's sure. also, you know, it, it makes it harder to find the stuff that's useful Yes. Then, you know,
0: because anybody if you can send just out a put paper out from peer review and
1: you get like, I, I don't like three reviewers. I don't know what the number is, but like you sure. get like so, some set of responses back and it's like all three of those are probably from people who know what they're talking about. Hopefully that's the dream. At least maybe not always. I, I am living in a somewhat idealized world of how academia uh, works. I will admit <laughs> uh, but like the point is that that's what's supposed to happen. And right. so, yeah, the, the whole thing with that, like, I think th- because this is a conversation I've had with like other people in like academia, they're sort of like, Oh, you get like so many comments that must be such useful feedback. And it was like, well, no, <laughs> some, sometimes.
0: Cause not only but, like, can it, anybody on YouTube yeah. put out anything, but also anybody yeah. seeing it yeah. can say anything. And so yeah. it's like, yeah, it Which really, think, again, yeah. dilutes what is actually useful. Which again, I think
1: is, is really good from a, like I inviting voices into the conversation perspective, Sure, but it's just in terms of, what I as the creator am going to get the most value out of in terms of spending my time isn't necessarily going to be scrolling through hundreds of comments looking for the ones that are from people who genuinely ha- not, not even necessarily know more than me, but people who know or noticed or picked up on something I didn't and are presenting that in a way that's not super rude. And like, you know, yeah. it's just it's just not the best use of my time. yeah. Like mostly in terms of audience feedback, you know, a lot of what I'm looking for when I can is people who know what they're talking about and are pointing out either things I missed or things I got wrong because that's that's stuff that I can improve. And so that's really useful. But like I tend to assume that if that's going to be if I made like a huge mistake, it will pop up somewhere that I'm looking. And sure. so I don't really seek out too much of that. Yes. But.
0: Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, well, kind of my last question as we wrap up um, is kind of so you touched on this earlier, you kind of brought up imposter syndrome yeah. and like, again, with these identities like musician or like music theorists or like artists where there's there's a level of ha- of having to perform it, of having to prove yeah. right that you deserve that label and that you belong in that space. I want to know right like how you this came about this question came about because I watched your latest video on Carly Rae Jepsen's call me maybe listeners links in the show notes great video if you are listening and you're like oh brother call me maybe," don't lie you love that song do not (laughs) lie to yourself don't lie to me I know you love that song so go watch the video great video
1: This one's mostly stepping back and forth between C and D, embellished with a popping tone, which is a very real music theory term that I definitely didn't just make up. Basically, if it was actually just C's and D's… it'd sound kinda flat, so to keep things interesting, they add an extra decorative note to each transition. one common kind of melodic decoration is the reaching tone, where you overshoot your target and then step back down. like, moving from C to D, the most obvious reaching tone would be E. the popping tone takes that a step further, jumping so far past its target that it has to turn around and jump back again. in this line, that's a G. and you can hear how it momentarily pops out of the established melodic range before popping back in. Hence, popping tone.
0: And you kind of brought up, you know, this interesting use of this term called a popping tone. Yeah. Which you, I, I guess, have coined, right? This yeah, new, I, I did
1: make that up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this new term. Um, You know, talking about um, this aspect in the song that that you brought up and that you noticed this pattern. And so I think it's so great and really interesting that you're using music theory in this way that furthers that accessibility that we're talking about um, and furthers the instead of just taking the terms that already exists and then explaining them actually in real time using new verbiage, new language to you know address the things that you're trying to talk about and so it turns music theory from this simply academic discipline that you get inducted in and you have to know all the right terms and all the right dates and all the right people into this useful tool that evolves in real time as the music that we're talking about evolves in real time and so you know I wonder if you've gotten any pushback or if you feel any sort of personal quandary about this kind of use of music theory and do, do you find that other yeah. music theorists feel weird about that or threatened by that or or try to check yeah. you as far as like you can't just make shit up because like don't listen to them you can make shit up yeah. but like yes
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it, the, 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 an important thing that i've come to learn about music theory over the years is it's all made up
0: yes like Tell literally any music Tell theory them. you're citing
1: it someone just came up with yes it was like this makes sense to me <laughs> and then are other lying. people were like oh that makes sense to me too yeah and then it propagates <laughs> and this is sort of uh one of my favorite examples of this in my work was like i was reading like philip tags writing on like chord loops and i was reading some other stuff about chord loops as well and i was finding it just so unsatisfying and it felt like there was just this huge question that was missing about like they we're talking about sort of like metric positions of chords but like no one was talking about like how you would actually choose chords and what like the mm. functions are within a chord loop. Cause they're not functional harmony. The things you learn is like tonic to dominant to predominant to dominant. That's not what's going on in a chord loop at all. And so it was just, I, I was, I wasn't finding anyone right. Answering the question I was interested in. So I just did a whole video where it's was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to make this up and I'm going to put it out there and if other people like it, cool. And
0: cite cite like, them, yes. Yeah,
1: cite, cite my YouTube video. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that whole... But I, I think, like I said, r- earlier on, there was a lot of that where I was like... Not comfortable with the idea of making things up. And I had to like really... Really ground everything I was saying in something I had read... And be very much just like translating someone's paper... And like I still do that sometimes when I find a particularly interesting paper but like more and more I have found myself perfectly comfortable just cuz again a lot of it's like I'll read a mu- like a paper in MTO or whatever and the person there will be like I noticed this thing I'm going to call it this like that just happens so often in music theory scholarship where like mm. you know someone just makes up a term and then we're like, okay, that's the term for this. And like, um, axis progression is one where like, there was just, uh, the, the one, six, uh, one, five, six, four progression, uh, the court loop, uh, someone just wrote a paper and was like, like, this happens a lot. Everyone knows this happens a lot. There was this axis of awesome video about it. So I'm just going to call it the axis progression. And now that's what it's called. And that's like, so realizing how often that happens, in actual music theory expert spaces made me feel a lot more comfortable being like, I can do that too. If like, if I need, if I need a word for this and I don't know a word for it and I can't find a word for it, I'm just going to make one up. And I've, I've done that in in a bunch of videos, but like it's, you know, and eventually one of my favorite parts of it is like, eventually, like when I first introduce it, I'll be like, I'm making this up. And then like, if it keeps coming up, I'll stop acknowledging that, like just quietly, like, a plagal cascade is an example of this which was um the one one minor flat three flat seven four loop uh (sighs) that you sort of go up a minor third and then you fall down in fourths back to the root uh and as i saw it in a like in a song i was analyzing i was like i'm gonna call this a plagal cascade and then like i kept seeing it in more and more songs and eventually i just kept feeling like okay this is the plagal cascade this is what theorists and like people have cited me as having invented the term plagal cast now. And it's just like, I have seen it be like being used in a lot of other places. And it's just like, we needed a name for that. And I guess I happened to come up with a name that stuck and that's just how this stuff works. So I, I haven't felt a lot of pushback on that. I will say I do tend to interact with a very specific subset of the overall music theory community, which are, mostly the sorts of uh, music theorists who hung out on Twitter and that that's not representative of the entire field that that's of a younger (laughs) and more progressive audience. And
0: well, then those are the opinions that we care about. But yeah,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm I'm, I'm happy. Like I haven't, I haven't sat down with like a hardcore old school, like Shankarians or anything to talk about this. Like I, I, so I don't know how they feel. I can't tell you if I'm getting pushed back I remember once this was like early on, uh, someone posted one of my videos, my channel on like r slash music theory subreddit. This was when I was like really small as a channel. And I was like, I was looking through some of the stuff and there was someone there who I I think was a professor and they were like talking about how they they were confused by my curriculum. And I was like, buddy, that's not what's happening. (laughs) It was just like "The, the order of this doesn't make any sense. And it was like, yeah it wasn't supposed to these were just things i was interested in and it was like why are you talking about this thing it's like because i thought it was cool
0: in your uh, music theory channel as a curriculum yeah. like why did you yeah. put out this video that's yeah. funny to me <laughs>
1: yeah, no, that, that one stuck with me uh and like and, and you know sometimes I'll, I'll get like uh people who are mad at like a video i made like the C-flat video I did recently certainly got some pushback. Uh, I stand by that video, I stand by everything oh, I said. Oh, the Adam Neely one? Yeah. Hey, welcome to Tone. One of the first controversies encountered by most students of Western music is the problem of C-flat. Like any other flat, this is the note a half-step below C natural. But if you look at a piano, there's no black key below C, which means C-flat is the same note as B. Right? I mean, they sound the same, and you play them the same way. And yet your teacher is probably insisting that they're different, somehow. And annoyingly, this doesn't go away. Bringing this question up in a room full of professional musicians is a great way to start a fight. Lots of people have very strong opinions about whether B and C flat are different notes, and they're all wrong. I'm right. So when my friend and sworn nemesis Adam Neely decided to weigh in on the debate, I decided to use it as an opportunity to explain why the answer to this question isn't yes or no. The correct answer, the only correct answer, is it depends.
0: Yeah. That's, I, those
1: are always fun. Like, those are a little, like, like Adam's a friend. Uh, and yeah. so, so, but sometimes I'll watch one of his videos and be like, I have additional thoughts. And then I'll sort of frame it as a fake fight. And yes, no, it's, know, fun. But, it's fun. It's fun. We
0: love the mess. I love mess.
1: But it's yeah, it's great. It's like I think it's something that like it's something I think is missing a lot from educational YouTube is sort of scholarly conversation. Like this is one of those things like Mm. recently uh, this is this is over in the the more sciencey space. But uh, two channels, uh, Steve Mould and Electroboom had a disagreement about how a particular phenomenon worked. And they did like six videos back and forth responding to each other, just like, you know, engaging in good faith and like, you know, trying to come up with, you know, and, you know, they were framing it as a big fight and they bet 10,000 Canadian pennies on it. And so like (laughs) it was two people who had both had valid explanations and solid theories going back and forth, trying to convince each other,
0: Mm. which is
1: a lot of what happens in good scholarship. And like, I think that, there's sort of this tendency on YouTube to try and be isolated, and to try and be present yourself. You're the expert. You're in the comp, but like, you know, really good scholarship happens in community. And this is the thing I've tried to do also when I'm talking about papers, like, is you know not criticize, but like if I notice something that is worth mentioning, maybe they could have done this, or it would be nice to see this in future. Like whatever, I'll, I'll throw that in there. Like, as a, a friend of mine, Bryn Hughes did uh, a study about resolutions in classical versus rock and like, like five to one versus flat seven to one. Mm. And just like, if you prime someone to think in one of those two genres, how satisfying do they then find the resolutions and found that like people just care less about five ones in rock than they do in classical. And I was, I was noticing like, Oh, but one thing you're doing here is you're playing it on an electric guitar. And that introduces like intermodulation effects from the distortion so maybe that's affecting this. And like, he sent me a message. I was like, that was a really good point. And like, so I, I try and include stuff like that because again, conversation and community and whatnot is I think really important to doing good scholarship. And so like, yeah, if, if people have disagreements with what I'm saying, I'm interested in engaging with those as long as they're, you know, good faith readings, which they aren't always. That's one of the things about <laughs> that's YouTube. Fair. But like,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. You know,
1: but it is yeah. always, yeah
0: totally yeah i mean that's my question are there any podcasts out there that are trying to feud with me because we can start a whole series is it note doctors classically black who's who's making a podcast and they want to start some beef i'm i'm vegetarian but i'll start some beef let's do it (laughs) all right so that is going to do it for this episode of her music academia the podcast Thank you so much to Corey for being on the show. It was such a great conversation. Great to hear more about what they do. And I'm proud to be able to share the public music theory, online music theory space with them. If you have never checked out their YouTube channel, please make sure you go on YouTube and check out 12 Tone. They also co-host a podcast called Ghost Notes. All the links to everything we mentioned will be in the show notes. If you have any questions for me, if you have feedback about the show, you want to get in touch with me, if you have suggestions for what I should talk about on the show, anything I should read, music that I should listen to for the show, please make sure you send me an email, hermusicacademia at gmail.com, or go to my website, hermusicacademia.com, fill out the contact form there. Please get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast in your podcast player of choice if you haven't already so that you don't miss out on the next seven Mondays coming to you live. Until next time, thanks for listening.